Well, uh, it's an incredible time. I used to think that April showers brought May flowers. I have found that they bring May chaos. What about you? I mean, we have had Senior Adult Day, Mother's Day, Graduation Day. We've had concerts, recitals, all kinds of things, right? And so it's amazing how busy May can be. It's like everything is saved until May, and so then you need the summer just to to breathe. In our world, there's a couple things. Obviously, we want to have a word for graduates today, but we also want to acknowledge what's going on. We have uh, apparently a very real flooding that is... uh, happening to those that are very close to us and is going to affect their lives in very real ways. We still have the tornado uh, survivors, and it's amazing as one storm moves to another, you can forget those, but I promise you those that are there haven't forgotten that they're still wiped out in so many ways and still need our, 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 our attention and our help. Of course, we have wars and we have everything that's happened with Osama bin Laden and uh, all kinds of incredible things. And then we have some people telling us that next Saturday is going to be the end of the world. Anybody seen that? And seen the prediction that May 21st is the end of the world. So uh, I would love to have breakfast with them on May 22nd. But uh, particularly, I read a story that a man used his life savings in New York to purchase $140,000 worth of advertisements to put on buses and subways and and rest stops, uh, you know, all along the way advertising that uh, this next Saturday is the end of the world. Uh, I I got nothing from the Lord. Maybe some of you have a word from the Lord that affirms that. Uh, I've continued on the track that if Jesus didn't know, I'm pretty sure the folks in California don't either. But uh, never uh, has never stopped people from predicting before. Uh, But as I've pondered that, I just found myself thinking, what if this is our last week? What if this is our last week? But then I found myself pondering something even further. Shouldn't we be living as if this were our last week already? I mean, if we're putting off something that we know we're supposed to do, isn't that called sin? Isn't that called disobedience? If we are not forgiving someone, uh, isn't that called sin? There. Things that we'd say, well, if I knew I was going to die, I would have done this. Well, what keeps you from that, brother? What keeps you from that, sister? We should already be living as if this were our, our last week. And so certainly uh, as our, we look to these who are graduating, they, I'm sure some of them have hopes that this isn't the last week. They've just finished final exams, and they're like, please, Jesus, give us two weeks, you know, to at least relish in that fact. But Jesus does not promise us tomorrow, does he? And even so, we are as the... Apostle John, who says, even so come Lord Jesus. If he comes, we know they will be incredible, but we also know that it will be awful for millions and millions, really billions of folks who are alive today. And so we want to work to display and live the gospel. So let me give a word for our graduates, and we're going to open with just some initial exhortations, and then we'll get to a brief exposition. But let me give you some initial exhortations, and just first of all saying congratulations. Well done. You made it. There, when we started as freshmen, uh, we, of course, were the largest uh, group, 400 and something there at Leesville. But by the time we graduated, there was 211. And so just to have made it this far, and particularly the Collins Homeschool, it's rough. It's tough. I, I know the teacher. And so uh, to have uh, made it this far, we're very proud of you. And, and for your families that are involved, thanks for that. I know my mom helped a lot. When I graduated, it was our degree, you know, and so uh, grateful for all the projects she did that helped me 
and uh, uh, we won some great ribbons together. So I'm grateful for that help. I kind of have two questions for our graduates and for the rest of us. Uh, The first question is this, have you pursued all of these things uh, for the Lord's glory up to this point? Have you done your homework for the Lord's glory? Have you pursued A's for the Lord's glory or for your glory? Have you pursued certain things with hopes that you would get scholarships or because it was for the Lord's glory? Have you pursued certain things because you thought it would get you a better job? And if that's the case, if you've pursued these things for your own glory, then please relish in whatever acknowledgments you're getting because that's all you will get. But if you've done them for the Lord's glory, there will be another honors day and one that's to come. And so whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we want to do it all for the glory of God. The next question is, will you live your college years or your graduate school years or the rest of your years for Christ? And the reason is because this will be all that matters, and it will be all that lasts. Uh, the district championship trophies we have back in Leesville, they're going to burn. But the things we do for Christ will not be burned. And so we want to be about this. Let me give you then some exhortations. First of all, be thankful to our graduates and to all of us, really. Be thankful. God has given you your abilities to think, to understand, to recall, to write, to verbalize our thoughts. You realize these are all gifts from God to be able to see, to be able to uh, have these abilities, to be able to know one plus one equals two, to be able to know Pythagorean's theorem, A A squared plus B squared equals C squared. That comes in handy on Jeopardy later, after you graduate. So far it hasn't come into pastoring, but it's just fun to know it. So uh, God has given you these abilities. Never forget where they've come from. Not only be thankful for your abilities, but also for your opportunities you realize Michael Paul is about to go to a place where there are plenty of men who've never been given the opportunity for school. Michael Paul is about to leave and go to a country that has not had the same opportunities that you have had. Uh, We know that the women who made these baskets, part of the reason they made these baskets is they don't have a college degree. These are their skills. They are their gifts, and they're using them. But not everyone has had opportunity for the education that you've had. And not everyone has families that care as much about them and are willing to sacrifice on their behalf. We watched Arabella last night and Annie Jr. play Little Orphan Annie, but Annie Jr. And it was lower school and middle school students. And uh, I did cry. I cried when I watched her. She was only in, in, in two of the songs, but I was so proud, you know. And, uh, and uh, I was like, why am I crying? You know, but... And she did so well, and I was very proud of her. But when you grasp what Annie is about, friends, there are millions of orphans that have not had families that are waiting on, I would say, the church, to be the church, to the orphans, to minister, to take care, to welcome them in homes. So for those of you who are here as graduates, be thankful for your abilities and your opportunities. Not everyone has had such a great privilege. The second exhortation I would say to you guys, Jason, be a good steward of what God is entrusting to you. God is giving you an opportunity for education, but not just so you can earn a degree, but so that you can be used for the good of others and God's glory. Uh, Take good notes. You never know where God's going to use them. Ampero Werner, my high school Spanish teacher, had no idea that all those years of Spanish would be used in six mission trips to Mexico. Uh, My football coaches had no idea that they would be one day, the things that they would teach me in certain drills, I would use in inner-city sports camps in Nashville. So take good notes. 
God may be using something in a chemistry class that he may use later on in the Philippines for his glory. Take good notes. Be a good steward of what God is entrusting to you. Do not waste even music appreciation class at 7.30 in the morning. (laughs) Believe it or not, my first roommate made an F in that class. It involved actually being at class. So that, that helps. All right. Here's the third exhortation. Be a student of God's word. If you want to be wise, study the word. Uh, If you want to be competent and equipped for every good work, study the word. If you want to know what matters most in life, study the word. If you want to please Christ, study the word, hide it in your heart, and live it. You're going to need the word to navigate college. You're going to need the word to navigate grad school. You're going to need the word to navigate the workplace. The word will equip you for every good work, not just Sunday school. The word doesn't just equip us to win state Bible drill competitions. The Word equips us for every aspect of life. How to be a parent, how to be a spouse, how to be a good employee or employer. The Word equips us for every good work. So, be a good student of the Word. Tagged along with that is the fourth exhortation, get wisdom. You may have academic knowledge, but wisdom is not the same. Wisdom is different than academic knowledge. I know a lot of valedictorians that are not wise. You can have all the accumulated wisdom and pass every leap test that is given in the state of Louisiana, but get wisdom. Here's what Proverbs says about wisdom. The book of Proverbs says that wisdom will help you not be wise in your own eyes and see yourself as the summation of all knowledge, and we would all be grateful if you didn't think that about yourself. Proverbs says that wisdom will help you not make bad decisions that bring devastating consequences on your life. We studied Joshua uh, 6 this morning, right? Joshua 7 has the story of a man. Do you remember the name of that man that we're going to study? Should the Lord give us next week and not come back Saturday? His name is Achan. Achan made a decision that had devastating consequences for his family. You know what Proverbs says? Wisdom keeps you from making those devastating consequences. And so we have it. We have put it in our heart from God's Word. It's going to guide us. Wisdom will cause people to want to listen to you and follow your lead. It was always interesting to me as we had student government uh, elections at LSU. Everyone wants to be heard. The difference is, do you have something to say? Wisdom gives you something to say. Wisdom will cause others to seek you out to say, tell me more about that. Where does wisdom come from? The Lord's Word. Wisdom will make you bearable to live with as you let the lips of others praise you rather than reminding everyone how smart and great and awesome you are. So wisdom reminds us, Proverbs says, let the lips of another praise you. So that when you go to college, there are other people who were 4.0s. There were other people who played sports. There were other people that did this and that. When you go to the workplace, there were other people who were great stars in college And you don't have to tell them. You see, what wisdom does is it doesn't force you to think you have to make much of you. It tells you make much of Christ. Make much of Christ. So get wisdom. (laughs) Wisdom will help you understand justice, equity, and every good path. Wisdom will give you discretion and understanding. See, wisdom is the rich treasure it is in pursuit. A couple more exhortations, and then we'll get to the exposition. This is why I don't preach topically, because I'm like, ugh. So I like a passage that we can see it. Uh, fifth exhortation, don't waste your college years, grad school years, or any years of your life. And three reasons why life is fleeting. James 4.14 says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Elizabeth Smith was a friend of mine. We did a Christmas play together, a musical at church. And on the way to a party for that musical the next week, Elizabeth's mom pulled out on the highway and was T-boned by a car. 
Elizabeth would ultimately go to the hospital in Alexandria. And uh, I remember being on the playground and us talking about it because Elizabeth was in the hospital. And Elizabeth died. Elizabeth never had the chance for fifth grade. Elizabeth died in fourth grade. My friend Matt Collins, a uh, tire blew out on his car and he crashed into a pine tree when I was a sophomore. Matt Collins was a junior. Matt Collins never had the opportunity to graduate. He died that night in Bird Hospital there in Leesville. My friend Alicia Babin, I've told you about her before. She was supposed to sit right next to me at graduation. She was killed in a car wreck two weeks before we were to graduate. I'm just trying to share with you, life is fleeting. You are not promised your fall semester this fall. Today may be all we have, friends, so let's live for Christ. Let us not delay obedience. Seize each day. You can't go back and relive them. The interesting thing about life is it's not practice. This is the real deal. Life is fleeting. Here's a second reminder of why we want to seize the day and not waste any time. is because the applause of man is fleeting. The applause of man is fleeting. If you don't know that, you could just ask Bobby Bowden. Anyone remember Bobby Bowden? Remember what he did? Coached for 30-something years at Florida State, but by the time he ended, they were all ready for him to go, right? If you don't think the applause of man is fleeting, ask Nick Saban what happens when you change addresses, all right? Ask President Obama about the applause of man. Ask President Bush about the applause of man. Don't live for the approval of others, but for the approval of the only one that will ever matter. Life is fleeting. The applause of man is fleeting. And here's the last one. Material things are fleeting. First John 2 Don't love the world or the things in the world, for all that's in the world is not from the Father. It's from the world. The world's passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Did anyone ever have one of those big round things called a record? Anyone ever have one of those? And we moved up when they got this big and had an 8-track. Anyone ever have an 8-track? Who had an 8-track in their car? Come on, who bumped it? All right, Steve Stevens rolled it, right? Uh, and then they, had, they went smaller. They got slim. What were those things called? Had two little wheels inside them? Oh, cassettes. You guys knew the fancy name. We called them tapes in Leesville, right? All right, so you had cassettes. And then I can remember my first two of these. These were shiny and reflective, and they were kind of like records, but much smaller. And you remember what they moved to? What were they? They were CDs. My first two were Color Me Bad. Anybody remember those guys? Come on. There's your shout-outs. And Ghetto Boys. All right, so... Ghetto boys went trick-or-treating. So see what the Lord's grace has done in my own life. And so we even moved up because we we have CDs, and then we've moved up to now what do they have? iPod, right? Now iPad, and next i-whatever, you know? Nano fits in your pocket. All of these things that you have. Uh, Friends, uh, do not spend your life accumulating and maintaining stuff that's rotting, stuff that's fleeting, stuff that's passing away. It will be a waste of your life. It will be a waste of your life. So don't waste life. Uh, Life is fleeting. Applause of man is fleeting. Material things are fleeting. So here are the last two that I would really charge you. Resolve to boast only in Christ and his cross. Some of you will accomplish some incredible academic achievements in college. Congratulations. Some of you are going to accomplish some incredible technological discoveries. Congratulations. Some of you will have some great artistic or intellectual feats. Congratulations. But none of those will declare you righteous before God. None of those will declare you righteous before God. Many of them will cause you even to doubt your need for God because of fertile soil for the seed of pride to flourish. Because we sit back and we look at how great we are. 
So on this day and every day of college or grad school or every future day, let your boast be in Christ alone. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. All right? The last one, delight in God and joyfully live the great commandment and the great commission. Three most important things I believe in the world are love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Make disciples. Why would we care about these? Jesus says you should care about them. So if you don't love God, you don't love your neighbor, but you love yourself, this is what Christ has died to do, set us free from self, so that we love God. I find that the great commandment is not much of a burden whenever I meditate on the cross. When I meditate on the cross, I love God with all my heart. Whenever I meditate on the cross, I love my neighbor as myself because I've received much. And then making disciples is a part of that love. I'm loving them by giving them the truth and living it out. And so I want to encourage you. You want to know what you should do in college? Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself and make disciples every year you're there. Make disciples every year of grad school. Make disciples every year of the workplace that you move into. Make disciples for the good of others and the glory of Christ. Now, having said all of that, I want you to turn with me to John 6. And beginning in verse 15, we're going to read a passage that we encountered way back in 2006. Anybody remember 2006? Long time ago. We walked through the Gospel of John in 2006 and 2007. I want to take you to a passage beginning in verse 15. Let's stand together and we'll read John 6. Beginning in verse 15 through 21, and we'll have a brief exposition. Many of you know it's not going to be brief, don't you? <laughs> Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Father, thank you again for this passage. We pray for your spirit to light it up. Give us a word for our graduates and the rest of us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, as we think about moving to college, we think about moving to grad school or whatever else, I just want to give you a couple of reminders. The first off from this passage is that God's plan in his time is always best. So repeat this with me. God's plan in his time is always best. And I have two questions for you as you branch out from here. Will you listen to the deafening crowd or to the gentle whisper? Uh, how many of you know that we can say God's plan, his time is always best, but we don't always agree with that? Don't always agree with that. Well, here are the crowd. We see in verse 15, Jesus has fed 5,000, which we know was probably more like 20,000 because if it would have counted the men as 5,000, then there would have been women and children. So we know that this is an incredible miracle. And so after seeing what Jesus has accomplished, then all these people are really excited. And if Jesus can produce food and he can heal people, you could have an incredible army, Right. And someone gets wounded, he's just like, get up, get back in there, right? And they're like, we need supplies. Here you go. You want fish? You want bread? And Jesus can do these things, right? And so the crowd begins to understand what could happen. They could possibly overthrow the Romans and have uh, their own leadership. And I'm not sure how, the, how this momentum started. Jesus says he's perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. How do you think Jesus is perceiving that? I think somewhere along the way, someone was like, hey, he could be king. 
You think he could be king? I think he could be king. You think he could be, you know? I don't know if it's just in someone's thoughts and someone started like, how many of you have seen the movie Rudy? Did anyone see the movie Rudy? Changed my life. And there's a chant that starts very slowly. They want Rudy to get in and get playing time. And so there's just a little chant that they start, Rudy, Rudy, you know? And it, ultimately you get to the point the players are chanting and even one of the coaches is like, Rudy. And he does it out of the side of his mouth because he doesn't want the other coach to know he's yelling. But... It gets to the chant. The whole stadium is doing it. I imagine maybe it was something like that. And the crowd's like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And one of the greatest problems is the disciples started going, Jesus, Jesus. Because they're like, if he moves to the palace, so do we. Woo, Jesus, Jesus. And I love because Jesus is going to be like, you get in the boat. You know, and he sends them on. He's going to get them away from that. I want to say a couple words to you as you go to college and as you go to grad school and as you go to the workplace. Just because the crowd is loud doesn't mean God is in it. Just because the crowd is loud doesn't mean God is in it. We are impatient. We think we know best. We think we want our way now. How many of you are grateful you prayed some prayers and you're grateful that God didn't say yes to those prayers? Anyone remember those? I I know that uh, God has his ways and his means of, of doing things. I used to sit next to a girl in my church, and I can remember her name was Renee. She was a year older than me, and I can remember uh, one time being like, God, please let her touch my hand. We had pews. There are these long bench things with cushions on them, and in front of them, they have places for hymnals, and we always have two hymnals to one Bible. I don't know about that ratio. I guess we care more about music than the Word, but we always have two hymnals to one Bible, and then we have a little cup, little three rings for the, for the communion cups, right? And it's cool because we used them like once every eight months. So we would put them in those rings. But uh, I remember standing one night and I was like, God, please let her let you know what I was praying for in high school students. So let her touch my hand, let her, you know. And I'm so grateful that that didn't work out because Tara is a far superior gift for me than Renee. And I'm thankful that God doesn't give us what we sometimes impatiently want in that moment. God knows best if you'll be reminded about that. The crowd at the entry to the promised land, as we've been studying in Joshua, they thought they knew best. They would not have. If this crowd had won right here, if they had won and they would have made Jesus king, would that have been for their best? No, it would not have been for their best. They would have had a king, but they would not have had a savior. They would not have had a savior. And so God's plan was not just to provide them liberation from Rome. We are so short-sighted often. God's plan was not just to provide liberation from Rome but from sin and death. And so Jesus, if he'd been king at that point, it would have been maybe good for them. It would not have been best for them. Best is to have him as king of kings and not just king of the moment that you're there. If some of you are currently dealing with impatience, which I doubt is any of us because we all wait on the Lord. We trust his plans are best. We just repeated that. It was the outline. If some of you are in this place, however, and you're attempting to follow your own plan, here are a couple thoughts that you can know from Scripture. In his right time, God provided the promised son to Abraham and Sarah, despite their efforts. In his right time, God provided a ram in the thicket for Abraham so that Isaac could live. In his right time, God provided Joseph the second position in all of Egypt so that the fathers of the 12 tribes would not starve to death. Where did Joseph get to wait in the meantime for that position? Anyone remember? Yeah, prison. Right, okay, just making sure. In his right time, God delivered his people from Egypt and Babylonia and every other oppressor. In his right time, God moved Esther into a position to intervene for his people. But most importantly, in his right time, when the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, God sent Jesus. 
Let me give you some reminders. Jesus was right on time the first time. He'll be right on time the second time. I don't know if it'll be Saturday, but it'll be right on time whenever he comes. His plans are always right on time for your life if you just trust him and yield to him. In college, in the workplace, the crowd is going to try to compel you because we move in things that we want and we think that we're wise. Don't be a lemming and rush to the sea with them. Wait on God. Trust God. Don't follow just the voice of the crowd. Here's what we should do. We listen to the gentle whisper. Look at the text. It says, Perceiving that they were about to come, take him by force, make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down the sea, got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Do you know why Jesus was not there? And what he did when he withdrew to the mountain, Matthew tells us Jesus was praying. Mark tells us Jesus was praying. One of the ways to not be influenced negatively by the crowd at college is to be influenced by the Father. And one of the ways to be under his influence is to talk to him, to be in his word. Jesus' habit was to talk to the Father, to draw strength from his Father. Colossians 4.2 says we should devote ourselves. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Prayer is asking God, align our hearts with yours. Align our hearts with yours. So the way that you won't be shifted by the crowd is every day you wake up and say, God, help me hear your voice more than theirs. God, help me to hear your voice. And the clearest way you're going to hear his voice is in his word, be in his word. So just a reminder, God does things in the right way, always right on time in his time. Number two, God's plan may be full of storms and surprises, but he will be in both. God's plan for you may be full of storms and surprises. Some of you, as you graduate from here, You may be headed to the worst thing you've ever experienced in your life. All right? You may be headed to the best thing you've ever experienced in your life. And the worst and the best, God will be with you in both. God knows the plans that he has for us. So we see in the immediate plans, the disciples get in this boat. And I love it. They're obedient and they do so. Jesus does that intentionally. He doesn't want them influenced by this ruckus crowd. And the same obedience as us. Whatever he says, do it immediately whatever we're delaying again that's disobedience disobedience is sin but as they're out there it says this it's evening and they're in the boat and it says jesus had not come to them but verse 18 says the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing when they rowed about three or four miles they saw jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened that's one of the most underestimated verses in the whole bible right (coughs) so let me say a word about this they had been rowing and getting nowhere And I just tried to think about the conversation because normally they would have already been across. But right now, it is between 3 and 6 in the morning. So they set out once Jesus told them to do. And they have been trying to row across this thing all night. But a storm has come up and it's keeping them from it. And so uh, I I just try to think what was happening. And I remember, uh, I just, uh, funny, you know, I felt like uh, someone was like, man, I'm tired of rowing. Who gained weight in this boat that we cannot get to the other side? Peter, how many sandwiches you eat back there, you know? <coughs> I think about the picture that <clears throat> I think about the picture that would have been there. <coughs> Jesus take the wheel. <coughs> I can preach in falsetto. <coughs> That's funny, isn't it? <clears throat> Charlotte's going to get water, and so I was thinking about we could pray. <laughs> the word here 
where it says frightened, it means take flight. So let's just process this. In the middle of the night, in the middle of the dark, in the middle of the storm, they look out and see something walking on the water toward them. And we just read it, and it's like, they were frightened. Oh, for real? It has the image there that they took flight. And I tried to think of somewhat, thank you, Michelle. I tried to think of, what was it like? Who was the first one to see him, you know? Was it Peter who was the first one to see him? And, or whoever it was. Uh, did they rub their eyes? You know, they're rowing, they're rowing. All of a sudden they see something just and they're rowing, they're rowing. And they're like, I, what? Oh, that's getting closer. Oh, it's real close, you know? And I can imagine being like, tap, tap, tap. Man, could you switch sides with me, man? This is something. Woo! Y'all about to row! Come on, you know? I mean, they're fishermen. Their whole life they've been out there. There are two things they'd seen walk on water, Jack and Squat. All right, so it's worse. It's in the middle of the night. Don't you know things are scarier in the dark? Things are scary in general. We were at uh, uh, the outlets, Tanger Outlets, and, uh, or whatever the outlets are in Gulfport, and my grandmother set me up. Everyone else in my family was in the car, and my grandmother said, hey, there's something on my side. I came around to the side, and as I did, there was this truck next to it, and this dog just jumped up to the window. I was like, ah! You know, and I ducked and I pulled my hat off and was swatting just all like this in one moment, you know, and my grandmother's just laughing in the front seat because she had set me up, you know, and my heart was just pounding, pounding, pounding. And so I imagine as we read this and it says they were frightened, I'm sure one just like, oh, you know, they were scared. These boys were scared, trying to figure out how they couldn't get across this. But as we encounter this passage, I want to ask a couple questions. Who had told these disciples to get in the boat? Jesus. Who had told these disciples to go to the other side? Jesus. So listen very closely, graduates. If it is in obedience to Christ, you're in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night, you never have to be afraid. If it is in obedience that we find ourselves in these situations, don't be afraid. Do it. This is why people can go to Iraq or Afghanistan or gang-infested inner cities and not be afraid to share the gospel. His presence eliminates fear. So maybe we're caught by surprises, but here's the best thing. Christ never lets us be caught alone. Jesus is walking on the water. Here's what Scripture says about God. It says, God trampled the waves of the sea, I mean, came across them. And God, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Habakkuk 3.15, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. So the Old Testament uses these verses to say, God walks on water. What does that tell us about Jesus? Jesus is God. This is the picture that we see here. And the incredible part is he comes. And and never forget that. You're going to encounter folks at college that are going to tell you Jesus isn't God. I encountered a Muslim student in the bottom floor of the union at LSU who tried to tell me all kinds of things about Jesus, but he wasn't God. Uh, Here, according to the Bible, the one who walks on the water is God. Jesus is doing this. Jesus is God. Never forget, Jesus is God. He's an incredible ruler, and I love that he doesn't let us be, he doesn't let us be called alone. He comes, and is this not underestimate? Look at this. It says they were frightened, and then verse 20 says, but he said to them, it's I. Don't be afraid. It'd been funny if he said it was, I'm someone else, right? Anyways, that's just my sick humor as I prepare, but it's like, it is I. Who's I? Right, so it is I. He says, do not be afraid, and then look at, this is another most underestimated verse. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. For real? Yeah, I think so, right? 
Immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Well, there's something that happened in between that that John doesn't record, but Matthew does, and it involves Peter. I mean, you know, it would involve Peter because Peter's that guy. And so Peter's like, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. This is what Matthew records. And so Jesus says, come on. And I just imagine Jesus smirking in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the water, you know. But Peter gets out of the boat. And you know what happens. Peter walks for a little bit. But what happens to Peter, church? He sinks. And why does he sink? Did Jesus drop Peter? Jesus got busy. Jesus was like, something's going on in Nepal. Let me check that. Hang on. Is that what Jesus did, like Superman? Was it Peter's fault or was it Jesus' fault? It was Peter's fault. And when Jesus reaches out to him, he says, Oh, you of little faith. You see, here's the incredible thing that, and why this passage was pressed most on me. As you go to college, you go to grad school, you go to the workplace, there are going to be some days when Jesus commands you, get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. In the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm, get out. Come out here with me. And once Jesus has given the command, walking on water is simply a matter of trusting the one who's performed so many miracles in the past. It's trusting Jesus. This is where you're saying, go, I'm going to go. Peter's failure comes as he observes the wind. He looks to his situation rather than God who's sustaining him. And Peter's gently reproved. God, Jesus isn't just being brutal to Peter because how many other people were out of the boat? None of them. Peter's the only one that got out of the boat. And so he's gently reproved, not for presumptuously stepping from the boat, but for presumptuously doubting in the very presence of Jesus. And I want to say a word right there. If Peter doubted in the very presence, and he could see Jesus. Some days we have those days too. Some days we have those too. But it's important to note that while Jesus is disappointed with Peter's inadequate faith, Peter acted in greater faith than other disciples. He's learning. Faith is not just about Sunday school, friends. Faith is a laboratory. Uh, it's real life. It expands as we go from test to test. And this is the one that we have faith in. It's Jesus. Here's what God promises to us, even if we're in the storm. Fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. One last reminder. God's plan will be achieved. So 21 says, Then they were glad to take him in the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I just imagine that was a cool ride, you know? Or others were like, well, dog, we were close. You know, Peter's like, we were in the middle, sucker. Look, at we, we just quantum leaped, you know? And so just imagine what that was like. Wouldn't it have been cool to be the disciples walking along, uh, to be so stupid and yet receive so much grace, you know? And that's a journey of our lives. Jesus is the key to getting to the other side. Uh, I want to give you uh, hope here. The plan was to get to the other side. God has plans. We're familiar with that. You should know this. So Katie's planning to do mechanical engineering. Jason's planning to be at Pine Cove. Emma's planning to do early childhood education. Let me just say a word to you. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. The Lord's purpose will prevail. As the Bible talks about plans and God will accomplish his plan, what we talked about last week is, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you future and hope. Well, his greatest plan is to conform us to the image of Christ. That's what Romans 8, 29 says. And so Philippians 1 says, he who began that plan, he's going to bring it to completion. And so the best part that I look forward to, should the Lord give us four years of life, is God will accomplish his plan in you. 
to conform you to the image of Christ. It's his incredible power. Let me remind us all of God's power because we're in need of it. If we're going to go live the gospel this afternoon in Morgan City, should we get that opportunity? If we're going to go home to parents, to lost relatives tonight, if we're going to go to the workplace tomorrow, let me remind you a little bit about God's power. It was God's power that spoke everything into existence. It's his power that shut the mouths of lions, his power that blew down walls with trumpets, his power that destroyed armies, his power that made Nebuchadnezzar and Les Miles eat grass, his power that caused a virgin to conceive a holy child, his power that opened blind eyes, deaf ears, silent mouths, his power that turned Saul into Paul, his power that raised Lazarus without medicine, his power that crushed Satan on a cross, his power that crushed death with an empty tomb. Friends, God is sufficient for all that he asks us to do this week. All he asks us to do. So let me say one more word. Don't waste today. You might not have this summer. You might not have the fall. And his power is sufficient for all that he asks of us. It's not always in our timetable, but it's always in his. And so what I would encourage us as a church, when Jesus says, get out of the boat, I'd rather be out, even if I'm stumbling around in the water with Jesus, than in the boat without him. Jesus is sufficient. Wherever he says go, we want to go. Don't waste our lives. This is it. It's not a practice run. Father, we thank you for Graduate Sunday. We thank you for a chance to honor them. I pray now that uh, you would use them. Father, we pray that you would equip them uh, through your word to be competent for every good work. Father, I pray that you would uh, help them to major on the great commandment and the great commission. Father, I pray that you would help them to be good stewards of all that you're entrusting to them. Father, I pray that you would help us. Father, we those who tend to be impatient. Please help us not to follow just the loudest voices in the crowd. If Jesus had done that, it would have been wrong for all of us. And so Jesus wisely submitted to your plan. Father, the way we do that best is by being in your word so that you can speak to us clearly, by being people of prayer talking to you, pouring out our hearts every morning, admitting our dependence upon you, every lunch, every afternoon, and every evening, admitting our dependence. We need you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We thank you and praise you for your incredible power and how we see Jesus walk on water. To be reminded today, Jesus is God. Father, to be reminded that he is the way for us and he is our hope, and he's not just some crazy man who lived. Father, we know that his return will come. And we know regardless of what happens Saturday, we are one week closer to his return than we were last week. We are one week closer to the end of our own lives than we were last week. So, Father, please help us not to waste any of this time. We pray that your plans would be accomplished in us. Most importantly, your plan to conform us to the image of Christ. And I know there are things coming for these students as they go to college. My dad died when I was a senior in college, but you used that to further conform me to the image of Christ. My apartment burned as a senior in college. My clutch went out on the interstate in college, and you use all of these things. You used four mission trips to Mexico. You used accountability partners. You used a great Sunday school class at Zor to further conform me to the image of Christ. So, Father, would you use all of these for these students? Be they in college, be they in grad school, or be they going to work. Father, we pray that the end result will be that you would bring this work that you've started to completion.
It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. We're going to transition now, actually, to our announcements, and uh, Kevin will close out our service, and then Stephanie will be here and lead our time, and uh, our recessionals will pray before we go. But Kevin, come and close us, bro. Instead of small group.